Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. Say it out loud, I do plan to receive. I'm here as a receiver. My eyes are open. My ears are open. My heart is open. My eyes, my ears, my heart are in harmony. In Jesus' name. Glory to God. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. This is the day the Lord has made. The Lord has made. The Lord has made. It is the day, the day of rescue, the day of reversals, the day of abundance, the day of healing, the day of restoration, the day of regaining ground that has been lost, the day of moving forward into places that you haven't been. This is the day of deliverance. God's not talking about a day of the week when He said that in Psalm 118. He's talking about the day that the Lord has made, a day of freedom and salvation, a day available to every person that chooses it. But you have to make the choice, don't you? It's an amazing concept to realize that the most powerful force in the entire universe, which is the resurrection power of Jesus to cause somebody to come alive in the Spirit to Him and be born again, that great power has no power in a person's life until they choose it. That's amazing. But that's how the kingdom is designed and how it functions. There have to be choices made. We have to choose to receive. We have to choose, as I mentioned earlier, to have ears to hear and eyes to see. That in our heart we're ready to embrace. We have to make that choice. You see, God described the problem when He said they did not have eyes to see or ears to hear, and in their heart they did not hear or receive. Well, if that is the problem, which He defined it as the problem, then that's also the solution. When we understand the solution to the problem, then you're making progress. So I believe the Holy Spirit has come to punctuate some things in your soul today that will not only clarify but energize something in you that will move you ahead in things God has designed for you. You see, every ministry has a mandate, an assignment. pastor makes clear here what the mandate is. It is to build people in their love and in their faith and in their walk with God. But ministry alone doesn't have a mandate. Actually, every person also has a mandate, an assignment. And it's really not different from the ministry as a whole. Our mandate is to be built and to be a part of building. Our mandate is to be encouraged and be a voice of encouragement. Our mandate is to be victorious and be a part of bringing victory in other people's lives. God has mandated every person to be a voice. And we are the voice of victory. You have to decide that, don't you? Because oftentimes, as believers, Christians don't really sound tremendously victorious. And look, we understand, man, every one of us understand That as believers, man, we face pressure, we face trouble, we face issues, we face that squeezed feeling, but we cannot let the world system squeeze us, crush us, defeat us. We're not designed to fall prey to the strategies of an enemy. We're now designed in Christ to fulfill the mandate the mandate of revealing and being a revelation of who God is, of who the Holy Spirit is now that He's in the earth. You realize that the Father was really revealed a great deal in the Old Covenant. That was a time where God spoke and revealed His system, His laws for people to follow. 
Jesus revealed himself as the Son of God and brought revelation, greater revelation, to understand who the Father really was. That everything Jesus did, he did because of hearing or seeing the Father do it. He did nothing of himself. So he actually was a further grasp and understanding of who God really is. His whole ministry demonstrated healing and victory and health and, and abundance. I mean, his first miracle was to turn water into wine. You know, they did not have to have wine to have a successful marriage. That's where it happened. That, that miracle happened at a wedding. They would have been married without that miracle happening. So it wasn't about a need being met. It was about a revelation being brought so that people could see that God would do even beyond what was necessary. Ooh, that's good. That was his first miracle. Glory to God. I love that. Well, the reason I brought that up about the Father in the Old Testament, Jesus in the Gospels, now what we are experiencing and what it's, our days are really all about is the Holy Spirit having come into His ministry, having filled His body, the body of Christ, with His presence and His anointing. Not only so that we are full of the Holy Spirit, but so that His gifts and manifestations are happening to us and even through us. It's our assignment. Can you say amen to that? I had some things come up in my spirit, of course, as they would in preparing for today. And I want you to hear, hear something that I, I wrote down last night. People are mostly defined by their history. Their personal history. The history of what has happened up until this point, their current day. Their faith is defined by their history, their confidence is defined by their history, their, their sense of fulfillment is defined by their history. The things that have happened have created an environment or a mindset. God didn't design us to live by our history. If we live by history alone, it confines us. We're limited to really experience more of what we have already experienced if we allow our history to define us or to confine us. Just like borders on a piece of property, longitude, latitude, you find the longitude and latitude, you create a border, everything that is defined about that property, everything inside of those border lines creates the definition or creates what that property looks like. But it is the borders that really set the picture in place as to what the limits are for that piece of property. You know, you're really not supposed to build on the other side of your property line. How many of you already knew that? I probably didn't really have to say that, did I? But the kingdom doesn't define you by your history. In Christ, we're not defined by what has happened, not in our own life. We are not defined by our history. We're defined by our destiny. God sees us in the light not of what we've done or what has happened to us, but he sees us in the light of what he has planned for us. And this is why it's vital that we keep our head plugged in to the Word, and that we remain Word people, hearing the right things, really feeding our head on the right things. We're not only feeding our spirit, our spirit is alive to God, but you're really feeding your head so that what is in your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, is in harmony with what has been born into you by the Spirit of God. See, we were designed to live in harmony. I talk about this probably every time I come. But some of you weren't here last time or don't even remember what I might have said. I don't. 
But God's designed us to live, certainly out of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, that out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. This is what, this is what Jesus described as the life of the believer that would be filled with the Holy Spirit. When he said that, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. This is what it says, John 7, 39. He had not yet been given, but he would be, and this defined or described what it would look like for a believer full of the Holy Spirit, that out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water out of your innermost being those waters is the word he used to describe that presence of the holy spirit within us that would be a tangible flow that would come from us that would have such a huge impact not only to us and in us but ultimately through us that's what the christian life is really to look like isn't it the right answer would be yes. Amen. All right. I'm in a good mood today. And I know you don't care about my mood, but uh, it does feel good to feel good. So in Christ, and this is what Pastor Vicky was exhorting us and preaching and, and dancing all over the things the Spirit of God's been talking to me about regarding this service. So I appreciate the, the introduction. That's powerful. The kingdom defines you, not by your history, but by your destiny. Every believer not only has an assignment, but has a destiny. We believe in destiny around here. We believe that God has a plan, but destiny being really a derivative of the word destination is all about where things are taking us, where God's plan is moving us and what we're moving into. You know, in Christ, we are not static. We're not just there. We are moving. It is not just an event. It is an ongoing pathway or journey that moves us from glory to glory to glory to glory, meaning moves us from manifestation and revelation and experience in Christ from one degree of that to the next. It's about growing. It's not only about being fixed, but it's about being, being developed into something that we haven't been up till now. And we are all in a process. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You know, I've been walking with the Lord since 1971 so that's been for me a long time I was 17 when I gave my life to the Lord I'm now so you're not lost in the math I'm now 69 and in these years that I did do the math right didn't I yeah I'm thought, I thought so and in these years you come to realize that God never runs out of things that he wants to modify in your life and while we are in Christ and we are born in Him, delivered and free, there are aspects of our life that He continues to want to unwrap for us so that our freedom continues to multiply and our, our peace continues to grow. Does that make sense? Satan's plan is to keep you stuck. Keep you stuck in where you've been or in what you've done, or stuck in the history, stuck in the regret, stuck in the pain of past, stuck in the pain of failures. Let me just tell you something. You are not defined by your past. You're not defined. What, what does that mean? It means you're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your behaviors. You're not defined by your struggles. You're not defined by your feelings. You're not defined by your circumstances. You're not defined by current ideologies. You are defined by who God says you are. Amen. And that's something that is not just a one-time decision and bang, it's done for good. That's something you have to maintain and continue to keep the ground. This is how John says it in, I think it's... It's in 2 John, verse 8, where he said, Don't lose the ground that you've gained. We're not going to lose the ground, but that just tells us it is possible to lose the ground that you've gained. That doesn't mean 
He's not pointing out the idea that you're going to lose your place in heaven. That's not the idea of what John's talking about. But you can lose the ground of how you're living out the victories of Jesus. So we're not going to lose the ground, but we are going to live in, in a place of gaining our full reward. And that's not only talking about our reward in heaven. It's talking about our reward Here's, we've got it up electronically for you. And I was right, it was 2 John 8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we work for, but that we may receive the full reward. Say full reward. How many of you think rewards are a good thing? Well, of course you do. This is why you've joined all of the reward clubs and get all the points that you get. If there's no points, what's the point? We want the rewards. There are rewards to be had. We understand there are rewards in heaven. But not all rewards are limited to what we will receive in heaven. And I don't mean limited in a, in a way that it could sound. I mean anything from God is amazing. Rewards in heaven are amazing. But they are not the only rewards that we have access to. There are things in life right now that God wants to multiply in your life. But losing ground can rob you from it. Let me read a statement to you that, or let me make a statement to you first, that really I made to pastors as we were driving here to church. It's, I was reminded of this idea last night and this morning praying, and that is that in the days of Nehemiah in Scripture, when the walls had been down around Jerusalem for many years, over 70 years at that time, in the days of Nehemiah, God had commissioned Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. And he went about to do that. He had some very severe opposition to what he was there to do, but he fulfilled what God assigned him. And listen to this. Here's the idea I want you to catch. He fulfilled the assignment in 52 days. In a season, he fulfilled what had not been done in 70 years. The reason I bring that up to you is because we are in a time frame. This ministry is in a time frame. And I believe you and me personally are in a time frame, a season of seeing the fulfillment of what has been delayed for whatever the reasons. No more delays. No more delays to your victory. No more delays to your advancement. No more delays to your increase. No more delays to the peace that God has commissioned you to live in and walk in. No more delays. Say it out loud. No more delays. Nehemiah had to make the quality decision. There were not going to be delays. There were plenty of excuses and, and reasons that things had not happened. And over a series or period of time like 70 years, you can come up with a lot of reasons. But right now, it's not about your history or my history. It's about our destiny. It's about the days right ahead of us, the destination that God has in mind for you. And while there are aspects of your destination in mind that, it, that we share together, there are things that God has said about us, He said about all of us. Places of victory to stand in. Things that are there to define you. That you're defined by what God has said about you. That's what we were singing about today. And that's what we were encouraged and preached to in the pre-sermon sermon today. That was a good one. That we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That's part of our definition. We've been made worthy to receive. We've been made to have access to His peace and God's greatness. We've been made in a manner that we have right to know we are restored from all the trauma and tricks and strategies of the enemy, we're not defined by abuses. 
were defined by deliverances. Glory to God. Ooh, I like that one too. I had the Lord say something to me a number of years ago now regarding some things that I was, I was dealing with. From Psalm 27 and verse 10, when my father or my mother forsake me, one translation says abandon me. Now this isn't limited to just father or mother. This can be any situation, but I want you to hear how he said it. When my father or mother, there you go, abandoned me, I'm like an orphan, but you took me and made me yours. You hold me close, one translation says. When you feel like an outsider, God corrects that to let you know you are an insider. When there seems to be so many reasons you would not qualify for the great things that God says about you, God lets you know that He holds you close and you do qualify. Say it out loud, I do qualify. Now look, we get it. We don't qualify because we're such amazing people and that we've done everything right. I venture to say, you haven't done everything right. That's not, that's not a stretch, man. That's reality for all of us. So God doesn't look at it that way. If you've done enough right, you're going to get it. That's not the point. The point is, He has accomplished for us what we have the right to walk in and given us a destiny to tell us the destination is accessible. The destination of walking in, in the path of peace. The path doesn't go to the destination. The path is the destination. It takes us places. And we're on that path. Say it out loud. I'm on that path. Now look, it's not just a path that says Jesus is Lord. It is that path. But it is a path that has come to realize that there are things God has said that I must also say. So grab this idea. It's not enough to only believe it. Paul said it this way. He said, I believe, therefore I speak. I believe, therefore I speak. Something happens when we declare what God has said. It brings that harmony I was talking about earlier between spirit and soul. It literally has an impact on how we think. And honestly, if we could go into the science of it, you realize that when we are saying what God has said, really saying anything, but when we are saying in, in this context what God has said, it is creating literal brain, physical brain connectors in your head that give you a capacity that expands to experience the very things in your body and in your emotions that you are declaring. There's a physical, I mean, there is the ability, I don't have it, but there is the ability to actually see these things advance in our brains. Brain scans, people that are in this, this field can see development happen and literally see a brain change. Now this happens whether we say what God says or we say what the devil says. This is why we meditate on these things. Here's, here it is. You guys are good. I love this. 2 Corinthians 4.13 And since we have the same spirit of faith, say the spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. That's the spirit of faith. So it's not only that we believe it, but it, it modifies how we talk. How we talk, about, not just about others, how we even talk about ourselves. Glory to God. See, we all have a destination, as I was talking about. The path is that destination, but it's, it's moving us places. 
I was in a, uh, in a meeting in South Texas, a women's prison with Mike Barber a number of years ago. And, uh, boy, I had God just drop something on me as I just started to, to speak. I just got up to speak, and God just dropped this on me about destination. And I said, you know, there's going to come a point in time where many of you here in this audience, and it was a captive audience, as you can imagine, Many of you here in this audience are going to get out of this place. And when you do, just for a moment, let's just consider that where you want to go when you get out of this place is to Dallas. It's easy to get to Dallas from that location. You just go up Interstate 45 and you're going to hit Dallas, Texas. And this was located, this prison was located just, just a few short distance off of Interstate 45. I said, you get on this highway and you'll head to Dallas, Texas, and you stay on this highway and you're not going to be able to miss Dallas, Texas. I said, that is part of the key to this actually successfully happening for you. You got to get on the road that goes there and you got to stay on that road until you get there. There's all kinds of detours. There's going to be options along the way. There's going to be exits you could take. There's going to be seemingly important reasons to get off of this highway. If you get off, you can always get back on. But listen, it makes the trip a lot longer when you do it that way. So I went on like this for a while. You can imagine some of the things that I could say. You can take detours. You could get off and, and just instead of heading north, you can head east for a while. You get on the highway that takes you to the right place. There's a destination to be had. It's not a deep revelation, but man, it is so vital to maintain that mindset, to know that there are places God wants us to walk, places He wants us to attain, victories He wants us to step into, but it takes not only getting on the highway that goes there, it takes remaining on that road. You keep your words in line with what God has said. You keep saying what God said. You keep meditating it. You get on the road that takes you there and you're going to arrive in the right place. And that arrival is not the end of the journey. That's just a, an arrival point along the way in the paths that God has for you, the assignments that He wants you walking in. At any point, you can stop the progress. Satan does his best to give you reasons to look back at your history and let that speak to you afresh and anew. The mistakes you made or the traumas you experienced or the issues that were bred or sown into your soul, maybe even as a kid. Satan finds a way that when we've had victories in our life over certain things, if he can find a way to stir that back up in your thinking, it can begin to have a paralyzing effect on your faith even at a later time if you allow it because it's part of your history. Well, in the name of Jesus, yes, I had those experiences, but it is no longer welcomed and no longer allowed or authorized to defeat me or delay me or stop me from the progress that God has designed for me. When we declare that, it puts the stake in the ground, so to speak, to say this is the way it is and the way it's going to be. Now, let me read a statement to you. Have we read from the Bible yet today? We have. You feel like you're in church? That helps. Let me read the statement that I, I've had big on the inside of me for weeks now, and, and God brought it back up in me today. From John 16 and verse 33, which is right at the end of that great summarization of Jesus' teachings and ministry. He had been ministering for years to his disciples, and now he's in this Last Supper teaching time where he knows this will be the final time of, of imparting to his disciples in this manner. And so he summarized in John 14, 15, and 16 the key points of what he had been revealing to them in demonstration and in parables and in teachings for those years of ministry that he was with his disciples up till then. 
It's powerful teaching and powerful revelation wrapped up in those chapters. You need to put your head into those things and let the Holy Spirit talk to you about it. But when he wraps it up, he said this in verse 33. We're all familiar with it, but watch this. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or pressure. In the world you will have tribulation. Have you proven that to be true? Yep, that is, that is a truth. Anything Jesus said, I mean, this is in red letters in my Bible. Anything he said, we know is truth, but in the world you'll have tribulation. No surprise that tribulation happens. But in the middle of it, he said, be of good cheer. Some translations say, be of good courage, have courage. I have overcome the world. Glory to God. The spirit of the world has come to dictate and to grab your head and take you in a direction. Jesus said, you don't have to go that direction. This is how we stay on the path to the destination God has for us. He said, be of good cheer, be courageous, have courage. I've overcome the world. Now, I've talked about courage here before, but I want to plug this in here just to refresh you on what we know courage is and is not. I mean, there are certain things about this word courage. It's a little bit hard to define at times. You know, you know courage when you see it. You know a lack of courage when you don't see courage. But it's a little hard to define in some ways, and yet the English word courage helps us when you understand the origin of that word is from the French word for heart. To be courageous is to follow your heart and not your head. Follow your heart and not your reasoning. Follow your heart and not popular opinion. Follow your heart and not what others have dictated you should do or could have done or they want you to do, but you follow your heart, and it takes courage to follow your heart. It takes courage for law enforcement to run towards the gunfight when everybody like me is running away. It takes courage for firefighters to run into the burning building when others are running out as fast as they can. It takes courage for the soldier to stay on the front line of battle when the bombs are going off and the Gunfire is headed their way. I mean, it takes courage. Courage doesn't mean there's no fear. It means you've dominated fear and decided not to live by fear or make decisions based on fear, but make decisions based on what is true and what you have in your heart. One aspect, or one actually one dictionary that gives another aspect to the word courage, I love this, that it is to be buoyant in spirit. To be courageous is to be buoyant. When something is buoyant, uh, you pull it under the water, let it go, and right to the top it goes. You can't keep it down. Glory to God. It's courageous. Buoyant, always coming back up. That doesn't mean you don't have times where you stumble or you fall or where you get slammed or you get hit. That's the tribulation, and tribulation comes, and this is what Jesus has said, but we are courageous, and that's how you deal with troubled times. You don't quit. You rise up in the name of Jesus. One of the reasons this ministry has been here as long as it's been is because of that spirit of courage that when a ministry or a person or something slams and you get hit, you don't quit. I remember a conversation I had with Dr. Lester Summerall a lot of years ago. In 1982, I was able to travel with Dr. Summerall with a small group, a tour that went through Asia. It was his 50th year of ministry. It was his jubilee year. And so he was taking this group back to uh, some of the places in Asia that God had used him to raise up churches and ministries. And, and uh, I was on this little group or with this little group on this tour. And so we went to Hong Kong because he had started a church there. 
We went to Manila, Philippines. He had started a church there. We went to Japan. I don't think he had started the church there, but we he ministered in Asia a great deal. And, and so this was just a fabulous trip, and we got to spend some time. But while in Hong Kong, most of the team that went along had gone on into China. At this, this stage in 1982, Hong Kong was not a part technically of China. It was still a colony of the U.K. And uh, so they wanted to go on into Canton and spend the day and spend a night, I think, in Canton. But I stayed, and a handful of us stayed in Hong Kong. And on Saturday night, there was a big Chinese banquet celebrating the 50 years of ministry, the Jubilee year, and it was just a magnificent time that uh, we enjoyed. And the next morning, Dr. Summerall would be speaking at the church. Well, there was four of us guys that had not gone into, Hong, or into China. We'd stayed in Hong Kong, so we went to the church service. We didn't travel over there to the building and, and the, uh, the space that they had in a high-rise for the church at that point. We didn't travel over there with Dr. Summerall. We went together, though the four of us did, and we had gotten there before Dr. Summerall and waiting for the church service to start. And when Dr. Summerall got there, they were still waiting, and Dr. Summerall saw the four of us and called us to come over to him and have a little conversation. And, and he wanted to share a few things with us about the church and about the ministers there and, and uh, what to expect and a few things. And then one of the guys had a question. I thought it was a good question that he had. Dr. Summerall, could you tell us, 50 years of ministry, what is your key to longevity? I thought that was a really good question. We all wanted to know. He'd been at it a long time. And we were just like little birds with our mouths open, waiting for the words of the old apostle to fall from his lips, to give us some light and insight as to how he had endured and maintained 50 years of ministry. And here came Dr. Summerall's answer. In typical Dr. Summerall manner, he barked out a little answer to us. He said, I didn't quit. And that was it. No commentary, no detail, nothing further. The key to being there a long time is you don't quit being there. Now, over the, over the years of ministry, certainly things shift and change, but you don't quit. Over the course of our life, there are issues and things that change in life. Sometimes you get hit and it brings a change. Sometimes you go through an issue and it brings a change. Other times you get a direction from the Lord and it brings a change. But in the midst of all of it, the quality decision remains the same. I do not quit. Courage rises right back up to the top to say, I am still on top. I'm still in the game. I'm not done. I'm not going to be done. I'm finishing my course and seeing the fulfillment of everything that God has said about me. Glory to God. So your history may have marked your life, but your history doesn't have the authorization to label your life. You are not labeled by your history, but you are labeled by your destiny. Man, I want that just to be pounded into your soul today, that you have a future. God said, I have a plan for you. It's a good plan, and it's a plan that will give you a future and give you hope. One of my favorite passages, Jeremiah 29, 11. So full of life. So circumstances certainly have come to all of us that have been difficult, but they are not powerful enough to define you unless you give them power. So we're not going to be labeled, limited, defined by histories, by circumstances, by hardships, by tribulations. We know they come. We know they have come. You've got your stories, I've got my stories. We could park on the stories of how bad it's been, how much worse it's getting all day long until we could all leave here quite depressed. I thought I had it bad until I heard her, man. She really had it bad. We've all got the stories. And that's not to make light of it, man. These were serious issues and they are serious things. No question about it. But we have to address it and deal with it. These things don't go away by themselves. You have to speak the Word of God that overwhelms and overcomes 
and defeats the strategies of destruction that have come against you. You not only believe these things, but you speak these things. It's not enough to come to the right church. You have to receive what the right church has to impart to you. It's not only showing up. It's having ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart open that you embrace what the Spirit of God is saying. You know, I've said it often here also, but I proved in my algebra class in high school that attendance alone does not guarantee you get anything. I just never really could see how to come up with the answer for what X was. What is X? And then finally, there was a, an equation that I did. It would have been very simple, I'm sure. And I got it right. I, I got the right answer as to what X really was. And so I attempted to use that answer next time X came up. Next time it was wrong. It just couldn't seem to decide what X was worth. So I clearly missed the concept of algebra at the time. I'm doing better about it now, but not a lot better. But attendance alone doesn't guarantee you get anything out of any service, any experience. There are Christians, they go to great churches, they go to great conventions, they listen to great messages, and yet in the end, it doesn't really sink into them to address their current situation with the power of what has been revealed. There was a pastor, he told an experience that he had had with somebody in his congregation, and it was a tragic story, really, as it turned out. It didn't have the ending you want, but it really was enlightening. Here was a young family, a couple of kids, Mom and dad, great, great family, part of the church, had been for a long time. And this wife is diagnosed with cancer, and uh, which they had to address, and they began to address, and got medical help and doctors involved, and, but also knew the Word. And this pastor had taught and preached what faith in God does and what it sounds like how to stand on the Word. I mean, there was nothing shallow about the way this had been addressed when it came to spiritual things. They had prayed, and the church was laying hold on it and continuing to speak the Word. But it, as it turned out, this lady was not improving. She just continued to sink. And finally, a period of time had passed, and she was in full-time hospital care. Though she was listening to messages playing worship music, had scriptures on the wall. I mean, she was doing all the kinds of things that I'd do, the way she described it, the way it was described by this pastor. This has been going on for some time, but she was not improving. So one day this pastor is on the other side of town, and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to go by and visit her at the hospital right now. And I want you to ask her a question. So he went over to the hospital and got into the room. She had some music going, worship or a tape, somebody preaching. Just everything was right. Scriptures on the wall in the hospital. And, and uh, pastor came in and he said, you know, the Lord told me to come over and just ask you a simple question. There's no wrong or right answer to this. It's just... This is the question God wanted me to ask you. Are you going to live or are you going to die? And she gave this answer to him. She said, well, I haven't even told my husband this, but I knew the moment I was diagnosed with cancer that I was going to die from this. She had settled it. She said, I didn't want to disappoint him. I don't want to disappoint you. But that's what I've known all through this, that I would die from this. She knew it. She knew it. And the pastor said this. He didn't try to preach to her. I mean, she had heard plenty of sermons and understood what faith sounded like and what it looked like enough, and yet she'd come to a conclusion based on the diagnosis that she had been given. He said, well, I've needed to know this because when you die, 
my church is going to need to know why faith didn't work for you. And your children are going to want to know why God didn't heal you. Why you didn't get the healing that we all talk about and believe in. They, they need to know that you had settled something right from the beginning. She did not have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would say through Scripture, through ministry, through other people praying and hands being laid on her and all the various things. You don't know what's going on on the inside of a person. You don't know the, the factors that have played into it and how the fears that they've had maybe speak louder than what faith has been able to fill them with. Now look, man, people, the moment they slip out of their body, they're healed now. Glory to God. They're in the presence of the Lord. So it's hard to feel sorry for them at that stage. It's no longer about them, is it? It's now about what others are left with. You know, we cry tears, all of us would, baby, at, at the passing of someone we've loved. Surely you feel it, you know it. There's, there's an issue. There's something that, that you feel has changed, obviously, and, and uh, it has an impact. But really, our tears are not primarily being shed for them, not now, because we know where they are. We know that they're in the presence of the Lord. They've stepped over. They've passed. So what are we doing? We're, in many ways, we're crying for ourselves or for other people that are a part of this shift and transition. Anyway, I didn't intend to get off into all that. But we don't know what's going on on the inside of people. We know what's going on on the inside of us. And this is where we take our assignment and we take what God has said about us and we declare it. You've heard it over and over again around here, so this isn't news to you. But let me read another statement to you. This from the message translation, something that Jesus said right after he had taught his disciples these things, you know, in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. Jesus said some things, are, but they are in prayer that he's talking to the Father about his disciples. He prayed for his disciples, and not only those that were there present, but he said all those who would become disciples because of these people's word. Well, that actually includes you and me. So you read John 17, you realize he's praying for you. You got Jesus who's prayed for you. That's got to be good. And there's a lot to go through, but I'll just park on this one statement from John 17 and verse 16. He said, I'm not asking, or beginning in verse 15, I guess, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world but that you guard them from the evil one. That you guard them. Say it out loud, I'm being guarded from the evil one. That's God's design and desire, man. He wants to protect us. And then Jesus goes on, and this is what I wanted you to really hear. For they are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. What a statement. Without question, we understand Jesus was not defined by the world. He wasn't defined by lack. If there was something lacking, he multiplied it. He wasn't defined by a disease. If somebody came to him that had disease, he healed them. He wasn't defined when the, the wine was running out. The lack didn't define that. Mom got involved. Mary said, you know, to the servants, their server, the servers there, whatever he tells you to do, do it. He'd al she'd already Im imposed on him that he needed to do something about the situation. Moms have a way like that. And you know, he responded and he turned about 180 gallons of water into wine. A supernatural miracle. If things are lacking, he has that capacity. So look, he's not defined by the lack. He's not defined by the culture. He wasn't defined by the Roman government. He wasn't going to be defined by the religious people of his day. He was defined by who he was and by what the Father had said about him. He found himself in Scripture and he spoke those things about himself that had been revealed.
Are you with me in this? That's the pattern, isn't it? You find yourself in what God, every promise God makes is part of how He defines your life now. He makes a promise. It is a definition of what He wants your life to look like. We never would think that Jesus was defined by the world, ever. Satan didn't define Him. Limitations didn't define Him. But he said this, he said, his disciples, you and me, are no more defined by the world than Jesus himself. That has to come by a decision to you. I mean, this is a statement from him. So it's true. There's no question about it. But we still have to choose it, don't we? These great words that he gives us don't just happen. They happen because we choose them to happen in our life. I'm not going to be defined by the days. I'm not going to be defined by the culture. I'm not going to be defined by the confusion. I'm not going to be defined by lack. I'm not going to be defined by the various strategies the devil has used against me or my house. Nope. I'm defined by who I am in Christ. Now let me try to come to a conclusion on something. These things don't end. But in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, I'll read from the... Well, what will I read from? I've got several options here. Let me use the Passion Translation from 1 Peter 2.9 where we get God's definition of who we are. He said, but you are God's chosen treasure. Say it out loud. I'm chosen and I'm a treasure. Hang on a minute. Let me talk to you about that idea for just a moment. There's a parable that Jesus taught and I want you to let the impact of this parable hit you in light of that statement. You are God's chosen treasure treasure. He said in one place, the kingdom of God is like a man who was out in a field and he found a treasure. So he went and he bought the field. And when he bought the field, obviously he owned everything that was in it, including the treasure. He didn't buy the field for the field, he bought the field for the treasure. Jesus said the kingdom is like that. Let me just add this commentary to it. You are that treasure. You see, value of anything is determined by the price that's paid for it. I learned this with the sale of an automobile. I liked this automobile a lot, and I thought it was worth a lot more than what anybody was willing to pay for it. You know, that's the way to keep an old car. Try to sell it for what nobody else will pay for it. But I wasn't trying to keep it. I was trying to sell it. you got to find what people are willing to pay for it. And that's when you understand the actual value. Value is determined by the price that's paid. Now let's transfer that into the kingdom of God and what Jesus has done. He has paid a price. Not just, now follow this, not only for everybody, but he's paid a price for you personally. And when you recognize the price that was paid, you get an insight to God's point of view as to the value that you have. It is the price of the life of Jesus himself. That's how he determines value. And that's how we can see our value in his eyes. So when he says chosen treasure... That comes with a lot of power and insight behind it. You are God's chosen treasure. Say, I'm chosen. I'm a treasure. But he also said, you are priests who are kings. This is important and powerful to understand. And give me just a, Can you give me another couple of minutes on this one? <laughs> I know. What could you say? <laughs> no, we're done. You didn't say that. Kings and priests. Some translations say a kingdom of priests. But let me just talk about kings and priests for a moment. There's really only two kings and priests in all of Scripture. Now, one of them is not Saul, King Saul, but he lost his kingdom because he tried to do what priests alone were to do. 
And that was not acceptable. And it cost him his position. There's only two kings and priests that were authorized until Jesus. One of them was Jesus. King and priest simultaneously. The other was Melchizedek. And when Hebrews chapter 7 talks about Melchizedek, he was the man that it says had no father or mother. Doesn't mean he dropped out of the sky. And it doesn't mean that he was Jesus incarnate. What it means is he had no genealogy, and genealogy was the big deal. And if they didn't know who his parents were, they, he had no genealogy, and they simply said it this way, he had no father or mother. But he was the king of Salem, which later would become Jerusalem. And he was the king of righteousness, which is what his name meant. But he was also the priest of the Most High God who received the tithe that Abraham brought back from a conquering battle that Abraham had taken great wealth in. He brought a tithe to Melchizedek. Do you remember this? this? So the order of Melchizedek, for those of you that are interested in this, I love this stuff, but not everybody maybe is as excited as I am. The order of Melchizedek that Scripture talks about is that he was both king and priest simultaneously. Only Jesus would be king and priest after Melchizedek because he was the son of the living God, the king of kings, and the high priest on behalf of all humanity. And he's that simultaneously. And now, as believers, we enter into his position as kings and priests that have authority and relationship. I want this to sink in, and I'm going to move off of this quickly. We'll finish reading this, and I'm going to pray for you. But the message is this, that as a believer, you have relationship with God that is without barrier. You have complete access to your heavenly Father. Glory to God. But as a king, you also have authority. Ecclesiastes says where the, where the word of a king is, there is power. What you decree comes to pass and is established. You have to put voice to the promise of God for that to take place. But he said, you are a chosen treasure you are priests and kings. You are a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. These are all titles that once were only a part of Israel as a nation. And suddenly now in Christ, this has opened up to a brand new nation. A nation that is not by natural borders, but by spiritual birth. That you are in Christ now, whether... You are Jew or Gentile. You are a part of this nation, new nation in Christ, and set apart as God's devoted one with a purpose, an assignment. And that follows here. He said, He has called you out of darkness to experience His marvelous light. He now claims you as His very own, and He did this so that you would broadcast His glorious wonders throughout the world. Woo! That is who you are now. Now look, man. These are statements that go beyond what we feel capable of really stepping into. And in yourself, you can't step into that. But you are in Christ. And God opens ideas and insight and revelations so that you know how to step out of the limitations of where you are now and into Christ in a limitless place. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember... You are God's best.